Good morning, everybody. It's good to have you here if you are new. Thanks so much for being a part of our service today. Next week, for Cheryl and I, marks a very significant time. We will celebrate our 42nd wedding anniversary. Yeah. She's my best friend. I love her, and I'd rather spend time with her than anybody else. Last week, I shared with you, if you're new, I've been on sabbatical about uh, about eight or nine weeks, I worked on my PhD, and last week I shared with you what I'd learned, several things I'd learned in th that time period. One of those things was that I need to really listen to my body, because within that, like a year's period, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer, all that's good. I had this heart AFib episode while we were on vacation this summer. Uh, they did an uh, angiogram, and that's all good. So I, I've always made it a priority to try to take care of my body, eating right, you know, with the exception of Cheetos, but eating right, um, um, exercising, getting enough sleep the best I can. I'm not a great sleeper. And so one of the things is that I exercise. I actually have three kinds of exercise I do. I have a stationary recumbent bike in our, in our house, and about five times a week I'll do about 30 minutes of work on that one. And then I have a, uh, for core work, I have these belts that, that hang from the ceiling, and so you do core work and you just use the, the weight, your, your own body. And then I also have some weights, some regular weights that I use. Now I'm going to show you a picture of my workout buddy. Now this guy, he's, 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 got, a lot, he's got a long way to go, and I'm you know, much further along than he is. But I thought you might to see my working out buddy here. <laughs> yeah, no, this is more like it here. Actually, that's my head photoshopped on somebody else, and the weights I use are actually about half of what's in that picture there. But, you know, it's good to work out. It's important to work out. But in Philippians, in the passage we're looking at today, the Apostle Paul talks about a different kind of working out. And here's what he says in Philippians 2.12. He says, work out your salvation. Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been working through the book of Philippians, going kind of in, in depth into that book. And along with this whole idea of working out your salvation, I've titled the message, How to Work Out Your Salvation. How to do that. Now, that raises some questions. Well, Charles, you know, I, I, it seems to me that you're implying with that statement there's something we do. I thought salvation was all God's grace. I thought salvation was all God's work. Well, I'm going to answer that question. I think you know the answer. But to get us started, here is the big idea. What God, God has already worked in us through salvation, we, that is followers of Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, we must work out in five ways. So we're going to look at that today. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to follow along, Philippians 2, 12 through 18, you can use your, your app or you can use your Bible. So I'm going to ask if you would to stand as I read this out loud. You can follow along, just listen to me, uh, whichever you prefer. Philippians, starting in verse 12, we're going to read like six or seven verses here. So he says, therefore, my dear friends. Oh, by the way, I'm going to emphasize a few words that'll kind of clue you in to what these five, uh, five ideas are, these five ways we work it out. So kind of getting you ready to hear them. So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, 
that, that's the emphasis. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of truth in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So maybe those cues gave you some ideas of what I might be giving you in these five ways. So you can have a seat now, and let's unpack this passage, and I'm going to show you those five ways that Paul talks about. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you those five ways. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a question with each individual uh, of those ways. And I'm going to ask you to ask yourself that question and to be really honest about how you would answer that question about yourself. Okay? This will be clear as we go along. But before we get to these five ways, we need to talk about this whole thing of salvation. Really, what is salvation? Well, salvation fundamentally means to be rescued from something, okay? Like, he saved the pet from the fire. So, that pet was saved in that sense. So, that's fundamentally what he means. But in a biblical sense, to be rescued from something is related to sin. And there really are three, you might say, time frames of salvation. So, let me show you this little diagram here. This dot over here... This recommends, uh, represents rather the very point that a person comes to faith. They place their faith in Jesus. They turn from their sins. They recognize Jesus there on the cross for them, rose from the dead, coming back. And they want to be a follower of Jesus and have their sins forgiven and go to heaven when they die. So that's what that dot represents. And the arrow here represents into eternity. Okay? So I'm going to show you what the scripture says are these kind of three phases you might see of salvation. Past tense. Present tense. And future tense. Now, each one of these kind of time frames is related to a key biblical concept, key theological concept that you may have heard before or studied before. Past tense refers to justification. Present tense refers to sanctification. Future tense refers to glorification. So you can see they're similar kind of words, the end of the T-I-O-N. So three tenses, justification, sanctification, and a future uh, tense, future sense of glorification. Now, when we say somebody is saved in the biblical sense, what we are saying is, is that they are a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. There was a point in their lives where they, had the, where they were convicted by the Holy Spirit. They were convicted of their sin. They were convicted of their separation from God. And they recognized this, and they recognized that they were, there was nothing they could do about it. Not being a good person, you know, go to church, getting baptized. 
And they realized, though, that one person made it possible, the God-man Jesus. He died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins. He was buried, rose from the dead, walked on earth for 40 days, went to heaven, will return one day to make things right. So a person who is saved is a true follower of Jesus Christ because they've turned from their sins and placed their faith in Jesus. That's what we mean when we say saved. That is the idea of justification. It's something that has happened. So here's the, come the definition here. Justification means that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. What's the penalty of sin? The penalty of sin not only is just kind of a, a life that's not truly satisfying on earth, but also it's a life of eternity apart from God. Apart from God from life, without having life or love or relationship or hope. And the next life in a real place the Bible calls hell. The Bible does tell us about this place called hell. So past tense, justification, is that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. But then there's this next phase, the present tense, sanctification, which means we are being saved from the power of sin. This is what we're going to focus on today. Then the third phase the future tense, glorification, this means that we will be saved from the presence of sin. You see, when we leave this life and we uh, are in the presence of Jesus and in heaven forever, there's no more temptation, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sin. So glorification is what it kind of is all kind of completed. No more presence of sin, no more temptation, no more sorrow, no more pain. So, like I said a moment ago, we're going to focus on the sanctification part today. Now, it's important to realize that unless this has happened to you, unless you have placed your faith in Jesus, you've been justified, this can't happen. Can't happen. You can't by self-effort, by self-will, become a better Christian because this is the first place you have to start. You can't, it's not backwards. It doesn't go that, doesn't go that, that way. So let's go back to the big idea again, or the, or the statement here. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Now, he's, he's not saying two things. He's not saying that you have to acquire a salvation by your works. Neither is he saying that you have to work really hard to keep your salvation. It's like, well, you may have gotten salvation by grace, but let me tell you what, you better work your tail off to keep it. He is not saying that. In fact, in another passage in Scripture, Paul writes this. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, that is our response to God's offer of eternal life, and this, not from yourselves. It's a gift. If somebody gives you a gift, you're not paying for it. You're not doing something for it. They just out of their, their heart, they want to give you something. This is what salvation is. Not by works so that no one can boast. He also says in Titus 3, 5, he saved us. There's that word again. Not because of righteous things we have done. So it's not just this thing like let go and let God, okay, I've trusted Christ and trusted God, so I, I just kind of go with the flow, whatever God, you know, whatever, whatever I want to do. No, that's not it. We have responsibilities when we come to faith. Matter of fact, the book of James is a whole book about the importance of evidence of your salvation. Evidence is works. Not works to gain salvation, but works that are evidence of that. And here's what he says. In the same way, faith by itself, a so-called faith, if it is not accompanied by what? Action, what does he say it is? It's dead. That means it's not real, not real faith. 
In fact, if he, uh, Paul says in Ephesians, he says, for we are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So back again, continue to work out your salvation. What does he mean here? Now, the fundamental meaning of work out is to give all your strength to something. And it's very interesting, too, in the context here, the Apostle Paul, uh, in his pro use of pronouns, they're plural. You know what that means? That this whole working out of salvation is done in community. Following Jesus is not a solo thing. It's not a thing I do by myself. We need each other. That's why we need this, coming together as a group. That's why we need small groups. We need each other. It's a community kind of thing. So fundamentally, to work out your salvation implies that a person who is truly saved recognizes two, two concepts. God's sovereignty. He draws us to himself. But on the other hand, there's man's responsibility to respond to God's drawing. So this present tense of salvation, justification, uh, I'm sorry, sanctification, requires our active participation and submission to his spirit who lives in us. It requires, uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Do you realize that there's one key indicator that you truly saved? One key indicator that you don't want to sin. That deep down inside of you, you don't want to sin. Now we sin sometimes. We give in sometimes. We yield sometimes. But one of the ways that you can know you're truly saved is like you don't want to sin. And when you sin, you feel sorrow over that. One theologian put it this way. He says that divine sovereignty and human responsibility are like two pedals on a bike. We will sin, this being, being in this world we live in. We'll struggle with conflicted desires. But a true Christian's deepest desire is to please God. Now, this present tense working, this sanctification, remember I say we are being saved from the power of sin, is not just human effort. It's not just working really hard. It's not just, just willpower. That's certainly involved. But it comes because you have been justified. You have received this brand new transformed nature which planted new desires in you. So God did a justification, but guess what? God also does a sanctification. It's not like left to us for the sanctification part, not at all. However, it does require that we yield, that we have a posture of following the Holy Spirit, that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. God still does the empowering. He still plants the desire in us to follow him. He gives us the strength to be able to do the right things, but it's God working. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? You have been justified. He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, we still have some of those old patterns. That's why we still struggle, still sin. It is still God's grace in this uh, current part of salvation. I once heard a great definition of grace for living, which really fits here. Here's, here's what it is. The desire and the power to do God's will. You see, God gives us the desire to obey him, desire to not sin. He gives us a power as well to do what he wants us to do. He says in verse 13, for it is God who, God, God who works in you to will and to act. Now, he's actually using play on words here. 
Paul said that we are to work out our salvation because God is already working salvation in us. God's work in us by his spirit provides the motivation and the ability, the power and the desire to do what God wants us to do. Here's a, ver a version that I think kind of smooths it out for us. God is working in you to make you willing. That is, you want to love God. You want to uh, avoid sin and able to obey him. Now, what he follows is how we work out this salvation. Here's the five, five ideas. He says in verse 12, therefore, my dear friends. Now, I've said before, when you read the Bible and you see the little word, therefore, what are you supposed to do? Does anybody want to kind of go back to the memory base? Ask what it's there for. That's right. <laughs> so you're asking, well, what is that therefore, therefore, for? What is that therefore, therefore, for? Yeah, well, something like that. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> He's saying in light of the previous description of the splendor of salvation, Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life, virgin born, uh, ministering and teaching, then dying on the cross for our sins, being buried, rising from the dead, walking on earth, ascending to heaven, and one day he'll return. In light of all the splendor, he's saying, my dear friends, you need to really pay attention to what follows because we have a really good foundation of what I'm about to tell you. So how do we work out our salvation? Number one is when we, and by the way, this is not brain science, okay? This is pretty simple stuff, but did you know that learning is not stable, including spiritual learning? Unless we hear it and practice it, it fades. So you may have heard this, like, I've heard those before. So, okay, well, good. Now continue practicing them in a deeper way. We work out our salvation when we obey God regardless of what? circumstances. Here's where I get that from. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now remember the, the kind of the context here. The apostle Paul was not in Philippi when he wrote this. He'd founded the church 10 years earlier. He was in Rome. He was in prison and he was writing this letter to the Christians there. And one quality he was noting is that, hey, you know what I've noticed, guys? You are still obeying even though I'm not there. Even though daddy's not there, you are still obeying. You've heard the phrase, was it the mice play when the cat's away? Is that the way? Is that right? Close enough. Close enough, you know. You got the picture like in the business world when the boss is not there uh, and the employees maybe don't work as hard as, uh, as when he is there. That's kind of the idea here. Paul's saying, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm around. It doesn't matter if the circumstances reinforce and make it easier for you to obey. You're still obeying. We work at our salvation when we obey God, even if the circumstances aren't working on our behalf. And folks, let me tell you what. We live in a world today, a culture that is rapidly getting further and further and further away from God's standards. And if you really lovingly but firmly stand for truth and live in such a way, it's going to be harder. Circumstances ain't going to get any easier to be a follower of Jesus. So we work on our salvation when we obey God, and, you know, no matter what. Here's the second one. We work on our salvation when we take our faith seriously. Now, all of these are kind of linked together. There's similarities and there's overlap. He uses the phrase here with fear and trembling. What is he saying there? 
He's not saying that we come to God and serve God out of dread or, 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 or being scared. Like, you know, maybe you're scared of spiders or uh, I don't like centipedes. I'm not like being scared of centipedes or being afraid of the darks. None of that at all. Uh, and neither is it a begrudging kind of like, oh, I've got to obey God. Rather, it means that because God is so invaded our lives that it's not just be our, our behavior that's changed, but our very interior core is changing to become more like Jesus. And how I think and how I operate is becoming more in line with what would please Jesus. It means reverence in all of God. Follow, listen, listen, folks. Following Jesus it's serious business. It's not a tack on. It's not a when I have time or when I feel like it. It's serious business. And that really contrasts to what we see so much today, what I call casual Christianity. These are Christians that kind of do the Christian thing if it is convenient, if it doesn't interfere with something else. Their relationship for some has very little effect on how they do the rest of life. New Living Translation puts it this way. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So how do we work out our salvation? We take our faith seriously. Here's the third one. We work out our salvation when we check and adjust our attitude. He wrote these words. He says, do everything without, say these two words with me, complaining or arguing. Now, he may have been hinting at two things here, one or two things. One is a little bit later, he's describing this conflict going on between two women in the church. And he says, hey, guys, got to work that out. Or he could be referring back to the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people were under bondage in Egypt, and then God miraculously rescued them. They got into the, uh, outside of the, the Egyptian bondage, and they, you know what they started doing? Whining. They had been under bondage for a long time. God rescued them, and they started whining against Moses. They started whining because they did not like this miraculous food God was providing for them. They were whiners. So he may have been referring to, you know, either, either one of those. So guys, let me say, following Jesus should be a life of joy and thankfulness and gratitude and godly praise. And when that is your life, guess what happens? You don't have any problem with these two. Now, it's, it's not just an outward behavior, you know, putting, putting on the front. It, it comes from within. When our son Josh was like, I don't know, five or six or seven years old, maybe a little younger. He had a problem. He was a whiner. Any of y'all have kids that have been whiners? You know, like, or something like that. Well, what we would do to Josh, when he would do that, we'd get in his face and say, Joshua, stop it. What do you want? Tell us what you want. And he finally worked his way out of it. This is the idea here. He says, make sure you're attitude is devoid of the complaining and the arguing. He's really doing something very significant here. He actually ties the effectiveness of the gospel to not being a whining Christian, to the church not being a whining church. Because when we don't get along, 
those outside of Christ look at those that are supposed to be Christians, and in their mind they have certainly misconceived uh, uh, notions, but s- some of them are, hey, you know, it seemed like a Christian, they should get along and love each other. And within it, when they see that, it's like, well, I don't want that. So it actually affects the gospel. You know, go on, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Can I go out on a limb? Okay, I saw, heard three people say, sure. Okay. You know, I, uh, this whole COVID thing, it's been hard for all of us. I mean, really, really hard. But I've been so saddened when I read in the news or I look on Facebook, when Christians are so condemning and harsh with other people or other Christians who don't hold their view. You know, we all have different views on vaccine, no vaccine, mask, no mask. I understand we all have different views. Nobody's got the right one, I don't think. But it's been so sad to see that. And I think what has happened is that the world has seen the Christians fighting and it's reduced our credibility. Paul says that that shouldn't be the case. And bring it down to like a local church when there's internal bickering or squabbling or pettiness or whining, whether it's a family or church, it dilutes the effectiveness of, of, the, of the statement that family makes or that church makes. Now, praise God at our church since I've been here. You know, there, there, there are going to be conflicts that come up. But on the whole, I've, I've not seen that. And I praise God for that. But he's saying a corporate bad attitude hinders the gospel because he says this. He says, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a crooked and depraved generation. He's talking about evangelism here. That's what he's talking about. Now, when I put this message together, I ran across this really good quote by a theologian. Here's what he said about this whole idea. He said, doing all things without grumbling or questioning is a watershed state of the soul. Those who persist in such murmuring, look what he says, are not obedient to Christ and his gospel and are rejecting the divine call to work out your salvation. Then he says, they impede their own souls and the souls of their brothers and sisters in this matter. Then he pretty strongly says, they are undertoes to the body of Christ. So, guys, we need to always check our attitudes and, and fix them if they need fixing. All right, here's the next one. We work on our salvation when we live a godly lifestyle. Again, there's this reinforcing. Each point reinforces the other. That's why he says here, so that you may become blameless and pure. Now, not perfect, but the idea of pure is like a, a metallurgist. You know, a metallurgist, when they, get, when they get pure metal, they don't want to have any alloy in it. That's the idea here. So what he's really saying is make sure you live a life in such a way that you have unmixed motives so that no one can find fault in your character. Then he said, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Guys, we got to admit, <laughs> we live in a real broken world. And the world needs hope. And Christ is hope. And they see Christ through you and me. In which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In fact, the message paraphrase, I think, has co- comments on this well. When it says, go out into the world uncorrupted. Now, I love this. A breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and of the living God. We all need to be that fresh spiritual air to those around us. 
So how do we work out our salvation? Live a godly lifestyle. Now, before I give this next one, I'm going to ask you to hold, withhold your judgment until, you, until I explain it, okay? Because it can seem a little bit self-serving. And here it is. We work out our salvation when we please our leaders. Now, where did I get that from? From this verse here. He says, in order that I, this is Paul saying, that I may boast, not a, like, oh, look at me, but, but an uh, honorable kind of boasting on the day of Christ, that I did not labor for nothing. Now, this idea of boast is really, is really the idea of an athlete who is training. Okay, in those days, there was the Isthmian Games and the Olympic Games. He doesn't want his training, that athlete does not want his training to be a failure, right? If you're an athlete, you want to train, you want to win the prize, okay? He wants to win the prize for which he is training. So Paul's prayer is that he may not be like an athlete whose training and effort has gone for nothing. For him, for Paul, the greatest prize in life was to know that through him, others had come to faith and they were following Jesus fully. You see, when believers consistently live out their lives, really those first four, they love Jesus. You know what it does to me? It brings me joy. It brings our leaders joy. It brings our board joy when we hear that you are loving Jesus and following Jesus wholeheartedly. Really, those first four. You encourage me most when I hear about and see you walking with God. Now, the occasional bag of Cheerios did help that a little bit, or, or Cheerios, Cheetos, yeah. I was thinking it's got to go to Cheerios now because Cheetos are out. But when you obey God, when you love him, that brings joy to your leaders. Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That kind of seems like, Ugh. message puts it this way. Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives and work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to their joy, the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? Now, this does not mean uh, that you agree with everything I say, that you agree with all the church philosophy, that when Charles said jump how high has nothing to do with that, has everything to do with following Jesus. Because when pastors, shepherds see their people following Jesus, it brings great joy to them. However, the caveat is, kind of the flip side of the coin, when those in the church are circumstantial obeyers, don't take their faith seriously, have a bad attitude, don't live a godly lifestyle, ministry becomes a drudgery. Yet when the opposite happens, ministry is just a joy. It is fun. But then he says something very interesting here. He says, he writes, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. What's he talking about, this drink offering? Well, there's some background that will help you. Remember the setting. The Apostle Paul was in prison. He was awaiting a trial that could have resulted in his death. They were facing persecution because they didn't bow down and worship the emperor. And he knows that most of the believers in his church at Philippi came from a pagan background. So they had seen pagan sacrifices. So apparently he's using an illustration here that they would connect with. Now in the Old Testament, 
in the, you know, kind of the biblical sense, the Old Testament sense, when a sacrifice was offered, a priest would take a goblet of wine and he would pour it out uh, uh, in the sanctuary, but not uh, to the side of, of the sacrifice, but not on top of the sacrifice. It was seen as a secondary sacrifice. However, in the pagan sacrifices, a cup of wine was poured out on top of the sacrifice. So the pouring out of this drink offering, though smaller, kind of completed a major offering. So he was kind of going back to like, okay, what you've probably seen in the pagan uh, sacrifices, I want you to kind of see, kind of separate it from the religious significance and see something here very practical. Paul saw that their sacrifice and their suffering for Christ was the primary sacrifice and his pouring out a drink offering on the sacrifice was like him putting the finishing touches on their sacrifice. He wanted his life of sacrifice not to be a waste when he stood before Jesus. So, how to work out my salvation? Please your leaders. Now, let's review these here again. Do you remember the three phases? What were they? Past, present, and future. Right, past, present, and future. What was past? What was the one word biblical concept for past? Justification, present tense. Sanctification, future tense. Glorification, good. Okay. Justification means we are, or we have, rather, we have been saved from the, say it with me, penalty of sin. Sanctification is we are being saved from the power of sin. Glorification means what? We will be saved from the very presence of sin. And God calls us to work out our salvation in five ways. Those five ways are Obey him regardless of the circumstances. Take your faith seriously. It should be a real priority. Check and adjust your attitude if it needs to be adjusted. Live a godly lifestyle and please your leaders. Now, I said what I would do is we would look at these five. Then I was going to give you a question. So I'm going to put these questions up. And each time I put one up, ask yourself that question. And be honest how you would answer it. Not out loud, obviously, but in your mind, in your heart. Okay? Here's the first one. Obey God regardless of circumstances. So question number one is, how often do my circumstances dictate my obedience? Is my obedience circumstantial? Do I take the path of least resistance? When those around me, the culture around me is pushing this way, do I lean into that or do I, no, I'm not going to. So how often do your circumstances dictate your obedience? Jesus wrote these words. He says, he says something very powerful about obeying him. He says this. He says, as the Father has loved me, Jesus, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Then he describes what that looks like. If you obey my commands, obedience, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And then look how he describes our relationship when we obey his commands. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command. This friendship becomes more and more intimate for us, this friendship with Jesus, when we obey him. That's the first one. How often do my circumstances dictate my obedience? Second one, take our faith seriously. How seriously do I take my faith really, really? So if you were to, at a, at a deep, candid level, write down your priorities, okay? Would Jesus be really at the top 
are like a soft number one, or maybe a you know number two. Paul was saying, take your faith seriously. He must be at the very, very top. Here's the third one. Check and adjust our attitude. What does my attitude say about the gospel? Are you kind of like Josh when he was a kid? If people would kind of observe you, you would, they would see you as, that person's a whiner. That person's a criticizer. That person's a griper. Or would they see from you because Christ has so gotten hold of your heart, they would see joy and thankfulness. And that just came out of your, uh, of your mouth and through your, through your facial expressions. What does your attitude say about the gospel? Here's the next one. Oh, yeah, do everything without complaining or arguing. Live a godly lifestyle. And this is related to the other ones. How well does my lifestyle honor God? Behind closed doors or in public? How well do I reflect the wonderful love of God? And then the last one, please our leaders. How consistently do I bring joy to my spiritual leaders? Again, this is not jumping when I say jump. It is loving Jesus. Because when, we, when I see you loving Jesus, like, oh man, this, this, this ministry is so good. All right, let's look at these five questions. I want you to pick the one that most resonates with you. How often do my circumstances dictate my obedience? How seriously do I take my faith really? Is it like really a, soft, a hard number one or a soft number one or two? What does my attitude say about the gospel? How well does my lifestyle honor God? How consistently do I bring joy to my spiritual leaders? Circumstances, seriously I take my faith, attitude, lifestyle, and joy to spiritual leaders. So here's the, here's the kind of assignment for this week. Pick one of these to focus on next week. I'm going to give you a few seconds. Just pick one of these that the Holy Spirit prompts you that, you know, I, I need to focus. I need to focus on this one next week. Can you do that? Just pick one and focus on that, all right? Let me pray for us. Father, we want to come before you and we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who lives inside us. Thank you for your spirit who gives us the desire and the power to do your will. And Lord, may we work out our salvation in an honorable way, recognizing that you do all the work. You did all the work through your son Jesus when you justified us, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. And you gave us your spirit, and the spirit really does the work, but you want us to cooperate. You want us to yield our hearts, our spirits to you. And may that be the result of our being here today. Before I close this prayer, you may be here and you, something clicked in you about this whole thing of salvation. And you recognize, you know, I've, I've really been trying to work hard to be saved, to have my sins forgiven. But maybe today it clicked for you that, you know, it's all Jesus, what he did. You can place your faith in Jesus. You can secure your eternal destiny. You can have your sins forgiven if you simply, in your heart, tell God something like this. I'm going to suggest a very simple prayer, nothing magical about the words. But if this is the desire of your heart, Jesus will save you. So pray this prayer on your heart. Dear God, I get it today. I admit that I have sinned. I turn from my sin. I believe in Jesus that he died on the cross for my sins. 
and that he rose from the dead, I commit my life to Jesus. I want to become a follower of Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to wrap up this prayer, but if you just pr now prayed that prayer, tell somebody today. You can catch my wife and I uh, out in the lobby or outside and just tell us that. Tell somebody that you trusted Christ. So, Lord, help us this next week. Uh, work out our salvation in ways that honor you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.